as we're making our way through the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church, the book of Romans, we see that Paul talked about power and struggle and battle. It was a big theme for Paul. And one of the greatest things that Paul talked about was his battle with himself. But before we get there, we just need to talk about this entire letter. You see, Paul's letter to the Roman church was a letter for that church, but was for the wider world. Paul made this letter in such a way that it was meant to be shared, it was meant to be spread. It was sort of like Paul's Magna Carta. It was his thesis on everything. It was about salvation, about saving the world, about hope and healing for the world. So let's be practical. I mean, how do you heal the world? How do you fix the world? The world is so broken. There's so much wrong with it. There's so much bad. How do you even begin? The only way to change the world is to change the humans in the world. That's the only way to do it. How are we going to heal the world? How are we going to fix the world? How does salvation work? People have to change. You have to change humanity to change the world. And the only way to change humanity, if you think about it, is you have to change the hearts of people. When people's hearts are changed, everything then is downhill. Jesus said this, right? From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of our heart, we live our lives. And so Paul's idea was this. To change the world, you have to change the human heart. And the kicker is this. You have to start with yourself. And Paul uses himself as an example. But who was Paul or Saul of Tarsus? We need to go on a journey to find that out. Tarsus, as the capital of Cilicia, was a hub of trade, wealth, and knowledge, as it boasted one of the greatest universities in the known world that rivaled only Athens. Saul spends the most influential years of his life in this bustling city, and as a Roman citizen, he had access to much of what the city had to offer. But his family was through and through Jewish. His father, a tent maker and a Pharisee, taught his son the tips of the trade for 14 years. When Saul turns 14, in about 20 AD, his father likely pushed him to study under an old family friend, Gamaliel. Now, not just anyone studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the top-ranking Pharisees of his day. Roughly 10 Pharisees were selected to sit on the Most High Council of Jerusalem Law, called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin held the most power in all of Judaism, and included members from each respected score and the High Priest. What the Sanhedrin passed into law became the law for all of Judaism, regardless of location. Paul studies under Gamaliel for some eight years before returning to Tarsus for service in the local synagogue. That is when Saul gets the message of a lifetime just a few years later. He has been elected by Gamaliel to sit on the Sanhedrin Council. Thus, with an anxious mind and an excited heart, Saul makes his way back from Tarsus to Jerusalem to serve with the full force of his knowledge and zeal. Only, when he returns back to his city of study, he finds it 
not as he left it. Paul returned to Jerusalem only to find it a completely different place. Something had happened while he was gone. There was a new movement of a, a sect of, of, of his Judaism that had splintered off and they were following this man from Nazareth. And this, this teacher from Nazareth it taught a different way of being Jewish. His message was welcomed by the common people. It was spreading like wildfire and he taught about love and forgiveness, a new way of following the Torah. And Paul rallied together with his fellow Sanhedrin and decided that they were going to intimidate them and not allow them to spread this poisonous movement any further. But though these people were uneducated, common, a lot of fishermen, rural people, Paul soon found out that they were not quickly intimidated. Thus, after capturing one of the followers of the Nazarene, a man named Stephen, Saul calls for an emergency council meeting. But what comes out of Stephen's mouth enrages Saul more than he is able to control himself. And casting aside his cloak with all reason, Saul picks up a stone and hurls it at Stephen's head. The rest of the Sanhedrin follow, laying their cloaks at Saul's feet. And Saul watches as members of Jerusalem's highest council of law and order murder a man named Stephen. Now we get into Romans and we're into the seventh chapter of Paul's letter. And in this letter, Paul writes these things. He says this, I do not understand what I do. He's talking about himself. I don't understand myself. Have you ever said that? You just don't understand yourself? He says, for what I want to do, I do not do. I want to do something, but I don't do it. But what I hate, I do. I tell myself I'm not going to do that. And I end up doing it anyway. You see, I'm up here, the top of this Capitol building in modern day Rome, and there are these statues, these incredible, incredible statues. And they're chariots pulled by four horses. And this was the symbol of a Roman triumph. It was a special honor that was given to Roman generals after they came back from war. And they, they had victory and triumph. And they rode right down here to this forum, right behind me, to their arches. And this was where they came to celebrate their victory. And Paul knew all about that. But the problem was, he also knew the greatest battle we face, the greatest victory that we need, is not to conquer someone else, but to conquer ourselves. That, Paul knew, was the greatest challenge. He faced all kinds of enemies. He faced jealous Jewish leaders who had him arrested for no reason other than he wasn't following their version of the way the law was taught. But he also fought the political and the powerful Roman Empire. But none, none of this, Paul said, was compared to the battle that he faced every single day of his own human heart. Somehow, some way, Jesus is the answer to the greatest warfare going on, the warfare in our own hearts. All right, uh, good morning. 
Um, we're going to talk about fighting that battle today, Romans 7. But before we do, I need to sort of make an announcement. Uh, this week, my daughter took up lying <laughs> professionally. Yeah, so we're, we're at home, and I mean, it just like came out of nowhere, you know. She's this cute little kid, and all of a sudden, it's just uh, professional lying, preemptive, premeditated lying. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So we were sitting there yesterday, and we are at home, and I was helping her do a couple of tasks, and she reaches for her, she had a pocket on her shirt that she likes to stick a bunch of things there, and Perhaps at some point, maybe we had told her there's too many things in there, they're going to fall out. I don't know why, but she felt guilty about having her pocket stuffed with things. And I hadn't said anything about it. It was just premeditated. And she just grabbed her pocket and said, there's nothing in there. There's nothing in my pocket, Dad. And I said, oh, well, okay, honey, I didn't ask you about your pocket. Now, um... This also happened on the day, yesterday, she discovered the movie Pinocchio. Oh, yeah. Pinocchio, the one about lying, about the, the nose. And so we were watching our third third, because when she finds something new, a movie, she goes all in. We were literally in the middle of the third episode of Pinocchio. So did Charlie know there's a rule about Lying, I think she got it. I, I was also starting to do some math because I thought, if my daughter's taking up professional lying and I'm a pastor, I should look in the book and see if there's a rule about lying. Turns out there is. Number six. So how do we handle it when we know the rule, we know the law, or the suggestion even, but we don't seem to follow it. Whoever has found yourself in this situation where I was last night, where the rule is, the law is, the recommendation is, you probably shouldn't be shoving apple pie and ice cream in your face at 10.30 at night. <laughs> Anybody got this idea from something you read somewhere in a health magazine somewhere? But there it was. Is anybody, is anybody with me? Can I get an amen in church? There it was. There it was. We went to the apple orchard on Friday, and they had fresh Dutch apple pie, and I, just for someone else, in case someone else stopped by the house, <laughs> I bought one and put it on the counter, and there it was. And everybody was going to bed, and it's just nice to go to bed and not stuff your face with, has anybody had, ever had warm apple pie with ice cream? I mean, if you warm it, I mean, then all bets are off. Then you're, you're beyond temp. And, and it was sitting right next to the microwave. There it was. It was there, this. And has anybody ever been actually eating it knowing it's bad for you, but you just didn't care? That's where I was at 1030 last night. Here is the most relevant understandable, practical chapter probably in the entire Bible. Paul says simply this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. Does anybody here want to do a lot more push-ups in the morning? 
Does anybody here want to eat a few less apple pie a la modes? For the thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the thing that I don't want to do, I end up doing anyway. He puts his finger right on our human nature. This is how us humans are wired. That's just us. The other day, Vicky gets the family together, me and Charlie. It's morning before every, all the routine begins, and she says, makes an announcement to the family, I think we need to make a rule, which is code for, Chris really screwed something up yesterday. <laughs> but we're just going to make a general family rule to fix it. Is anybody with me? Let's make a rule. Rules, as we're going to learn, Paul calls law, um, can get us so far in life. They really can. Um, it's what I call starter religion. Nothing wrong with a little starter religion. It can keep you out of jail. Huh? Don't murder people. That'll keep you out of jail. Don't steal things. You know, these are good things. They get society kind of getting along in a, in a, in a low-grade sense. But they have limits. Rules can only take you so far. And that's what Paul gets to in this. Because if there was ever a guy, as we learned in the video, that knew the rules, it was Paul. Because Paul was educated at the highest level and then became a rule enforcer at the highest level. But it's hard because even the rule enforcers, as we learn, don't follow the rules themselves. And before you get too finger pointy, as we learned a couple weeks ago, when you're pointing one at someone else, you're pointing what? Three back at you. What we're trying to convey in our series on Romans is salvation is not, first of all, from this world, but for this world. And the only way to change this world is to change the humans in the world. And the only way to change the humans in the world is to change the hearts of people. In other words, how do you change people? If you can change the human heart, the rest is easy. The rest is easy. If you skip changing the human heart, it's difficult all the way down. Um, by the way, I think this is what happens then. People get some form of religion. In Paul's case, it was Judaism. Maybe today in modern-day America, it might be Christianity or Catholic or whatever your, your thing is, and you, and you join, and you learn the rules. And here's the thing. That's good for starters, but if you skip ahead to try to do the things that Jesus actually taught us to do without a changed heart, it's really difficult. Love your enemies. Did he really say that? Did he mean that? Let's be honest. Most of us don't do that. 90% of people that have a Jesus fish on their car don't love their enemies. In other words, it's one thing to sign up for the system. It's another thing to allow our heart. And, and my hand will go up first. But Jesus put the bar way up there with some of the things that he taught. What does this mean? It leads to a couple of different things. Number one, it leads to frustration. People really do read it. They get serious about it. And they, and they go, I, I got to do that. That's what Jesus taught. 
good place to start. How do I do that? And they are constantly frustrated with themselves. And that's what you read in Romans 7. Paul is frustrated. He ends the chapter going, what a wretched man that I am. Is anyone here ever joined like a workout program or a diet and got a little frustrated with yourself? Didn't it sound good in the seminar though? Like in the seminar, they had like charts and pictures and look at this girl and now look at her. This she was this and now she's this. Don't they sound good in seminars? <laughs> and then Tuesday night happens. Anybody know what Tuesday night is? You know, Tuesday night, you know, favorite shows on, a little bit bored. You bought a pie to put on the counter for your friends. <laughs> Knowing it and following it, they're completely different things. Real change has to be different. Otherwise, you're just constantly frustrated. The funny thing is, the more sensitive people are, they're more frustrated they get with themselves. I meet so, so many people that are so frustrated with themselves all the time, and sometimes I want to say to them, give yourself a break. I know a lot more big idiots than you. But if you're paying attention to the bar that Jesus set, I mean, you, you would probably be frustrated. Or the other option is denial. Just deny. Act like, yeah, you, you, you do it. Of course I love my enemies. Of course I forgive. Of course I and live in a complete state of denial about your own heart. And is there like another way? And can the heart really be changed? Nowadays, I get as much time as I can, like reading scripture and other ways of studying. And my new supplement of study is Disney princess movies. And as the trolls said in Frozen, uh, the head can be changed, but the heart is not so easily persuaded. The heart takes some work. That's, that's, the, that's where everything comes from. In Proverbs 4, 23, it says, uh, it's the wellspring of life. Everything that you do actually deeply comes from your heart. That's where it all comes from. And all the, the, the stuff that we learn outside is to just, just to try to get us to fit along in society or in church or whatever group that we're in. But the only real lasting change is when the heart is completely changed. Law can get you started, but it, it can kind of make a mess out of you. Which is what Jesus ran into with the Pharisees because they kind of navigated their way. They were halfway in denial all the time about their true state. But they learned to navigate all the laws. And so they were arrogant and they looked down on other people that weren't following the religion. That weren't keeping the rules. But their hearts were stone cold. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. How actually do you go around fixing your own heart? What religion does is it focuses on the outside, tries to bring change from the outside, 
But what Jesus taught was a new way. In Romans, the the seventh chapter, sixth verse, it says this. um, So we serve um, in a new way of the Spirit. Romans 7, 6. A new way of the Spirit. This is a really important verse. It's a new way. The old way was, what are the rules? You look up the rule book, you follow it, and this way is different. This is internal, of the Spirit. Um, this will be a, a rough example, but get, give me a minute. Charlie also does not like crust. Did anybody ever go through this phase with the kids? They don't eat crust. What's the problem with crust? All of a sudden, just like two weeks ago, Dad, no, Dad, there's crust on there. So every morning I have peanut butter toast with her. I cut it in half. I eat one half. She eats the other half. But about two weeks ago, she stopped eating crust. So now, on her half, I have to bite off all the little pieces. So humiliating. <laughs> to bite off all the little pieces of crust. Today, the only piece of bread left in the thing was the heel. The whole thing is crust. You know what happened? I ate the edge, the crust of the crust off, and I left the, the whole bottom thing is crust, and she just swallows it. No problem. Does this make any sense? I wanted to scream at her, you know you're eating crust right now, but I had to get to church. This was Jesus' frustration with the Pharisees. They're swallowing crust all the time. Or as he said, you know, here, you're straining gnats and you're swallowing camels. You're missing the big picture. You're locked into these rules. You're locked into your religious system, but you're missing what it is to have a true and a transformed heart. And that's why Jesus said things like, you know, the prostitutes, they're entering the kingdom ahead of you. They get it and you don't. Jesus said some crazy stuff. Crazy, brilliant stuff. Some stuff that we don't quote enough. He said to the Pharisees, you're swallowing crust every single day. But you just nibble off the edge, the crust of the crust. Before we share the Lord's Supper together, which I think is a fitting way to finish our day, I want to share with you a couple of thoughts about how you change the human heart. Now, right away, you're going to think of three or four people that need to change. Take notes for them, will you? As I know it has nothing to do with you, but just in case, you want to start with yourself? How do we change? First, oh, by the way, you aren't going to like these, but again, they're for someone else, so. First, a humbling experience. A humbling experience. Because the way it works is you you get along in the system, and as long as you're climbing the ladder and and the charts are moving up and to the right, and the profits are good, and as long as you're you're getting accolades at church or you're you're getting the attaboy, everything's going good, then you don't have to worry. And see, Paul was a 
Did you get it? Did you get the whole thing? Paul gets to travel overseas. He gets to study under Gamaliel. He's the top of the top of his class, and it's a religious class. So it's God on top of society. He's got attaboys coming out of his ears. I mean, he's the guy. For him, it took a humbling experience on the Damascus Road, and he gets a blinding light and knocks him on his rear end. Anybody ever got knocked on your rear end? There's a good place to start. Start to look at yourself differently. Because if you're always winning and you're always conquering, I mean, there's no reason to examine yourself. You just keep conquering. Sooner or later, a humbling experience happens, I think, to all of us. Some of us, multiple times, we're slow learners. But a humbling experience will do something like that. You see, Damascus Road is everyone's road. Because all of us were on the road. What was Paul doing on the road? Thinking about, you know, I just need to change. I just need to become a better person. What was he doing? I'm going to go fix those guys. They're not doing the religion right. Let me go fix them. You know, oftentimes when we get our humbling experiences, when we're trying to fix somebody else on the road, I'm going to go tell them. I'm going to go show them how we're supposed to do it. Bam. The light comes, he's knocked on his backside, and he doesn't see, he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink for three days. Humbling experience. I don't wish it for anybody. But I've been around long enough now to know that seems to be sometimes how it goes. It takes something to get us to look inward. Now, there's an interesting part of Paul's story which will give us some clues as to how the heart changes because it says he goes off to the desert in Arabia for three years. A lot of times people make it out like Paul just got up and then started telling the world as if one experience can completely revolutionize a person's heart. I think it can wake us up. But the heart is not so easily persuaded. Three years, it says. What was he doing? It doesn't say. You can read about it in Galatians. It doesn't say. What is, what is he doing there for three years? He's out of the limelight. He's no longer the man. I don't know if you caught it in the video, but to be a part of the Sanhedrin, I mean, he's the top of the top. He's the, he's the big boss. Now he's nobody. He's in the desert area. He's alone. Chance to examine yourself. I think it was somewhere during that three-year period where Paul accepted this about himself. He wasn't as perfect as he thought he was. Somehow he got the fuel for Romans chapter 7, I think, during those three years. Accepting the dark side of himself instead of denying it. It's hard to do. But it's there. It's there. If we could get to the place where we could accept it, I think it took Paul those three years to accept it. This is a part of him. And he's going to struggle. 
That's why if you've ever been part of a recovery group, you know, that as you go around, you say, I am a recovering this. I am this. I'm an alcoholic or I'm a, you know, whatever the thing is. And, and, and it's always a part of you. Mm, don't we want to just discard it and go, that's never a part of me. But that's just not, it's not true. It's not real. You know what I love about Paul in Romans 7? He could have left that chapter out. It's all about himself. I keep screwing up. I know the right thing to do, and I don't do it. By, by the way, if this feels like the most bummer message, just hang in there, because Romans chapter 8 is unbelievable. And, and, and we're going to tee it up by sharing the Lord's Supper together, because it, it, it's all good, and, and we do win. Christ helps us. But if you don't face the reality, if you don't face the music, somewhere Paul had to have a humbling experience and then he had to have a honing experience where he just said, you know what? This is a part of me. I'm a flawed person. I walk with a limp. And then something about, something about the work of Jesus Christ. There's mystery in it as we share the Lord's Supper together. There's mystery in it, but there's something there. It's, the, it's what Paul called the a new way of the Spirit. There's a reason that there's a trend for people to be spiritual and not religious. What's the reason? Well, because that's what Jesus was. And in fact, that's what Paul was. But when you're starting, you'll just take all the rules and you package them on. And the problem is you can hide in your religion from God, which is what Paul did. Or as I heard one person say, hide from God in God. That's brilliant. Hide from God? What do you mean? Well, God wants to change us. He wants to transform our hearts. But we want to hide from being changed. So what's the best place to hide? A religion. Get straight A's, get baptized, do the memory verses, smile at the pastor, tell him great message, but cover the heart so it doesn't change. The way of change has to somehow start within. So Paul ends the chapter and he says this, who can save me from this? Ready? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ.